normally here as well. Uh, and so we're going to be doing sign-ups back on that table and then in the kids' check-in area for both Lighthouse Aglow and the Christmas Choir. So let's, uh, let's get into the scripture. It's uh, Ephesians 3. And before we get any further, let's just pray uh, and ask um, God to, to just speak uh, to us through, through his word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us the Bible. We thank you for teaching us um, through your word, by your spirit. Um, and I just pray that you would help me to uh, just be led by your spirit and to be faithful to the text and your, and your word as I speak this morning. Um, I just thank you for the way your word's already been shared through uh, the, the music and through Tyler's testimony and just the fellowship of the believers and the saints. And uh, I just pray that you uh, would continue to speak uh, through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, the first time Laura and I ever took our family to Disney World, we uh, finished the day out at Epcot. If you don't know what Epcot is, it's a place where you walk a really long way around this lake and visit fake countries. Uh, it's really wonderful. You spend a lot of money to go to pretend countries. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, you're so tired and your kids are grumpy. You're thought, why did I ever do this in the first place? This is what Epcot... No, I'm just kidding. We, we loved Epcot, but at the end of the day, it was raining and we were exhausted. Our kids were falling asleep and our phones were dead. And so we get to our car and our phones are dead. We don't have a car charger. It's raining. We've, only, we've never been, well, Laura had been there. I'd never been there. I'd never been to Disney World before this trip. And we don't know exactly where we're going and exactly how to get home. So we stop at a gas station to buy a charging base so we can plug our phone in to charge it to pull up the Maps app. But in the interim, I thought, why wait? Let's go. And so we go and we end up somewhere where we're not supposed to be. We're not sure where we are. We exit the park and the whole complex, and we're, we, we find this, inter and we, I, we miss the turn somewhere. So we we've eventually are able to get our phone on and then pull up the app. We had a bad signal, but enough to say, okay, if we take this, this expressway, we'll be able to link back up to the turnpike and head south and make it home. And so... Our phones are charging, and the signal's bad, the weather's bad, and we're on this, we're on this, I think it was 417, I can't remember exactly, we're on 417, whatever it is, and we're going, and we're supposed to be hitting the turnpike exit, and we're driving, and we're like, okay, now we're feeling good, we know where we're going, things are good, the kids are good, we're driving, we're happy, and we're driving, it's five minutes, eight minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 18 minutes, and we're not seeing our exit 20 minutes. And I'm finally, I'm like, babe, I think, we're, I, I don't, I think we missed the exit somewhere. And, and so we're driving. We finally, we find an exit. And we, we're able to pull off. And our phone is finally working. We got the signal. We pull it up. I, and, I, and, and we pull it up. And we had driven. So Disney World, geographically, Orlando is like this center thing in the middle of Florida. And on this side of Orlando is Disney. And underneath Orlando is where we were trying to connect to the turnpike, and we had somehow driven all the way up and around to the far eastern side of the city and missed our exit by like 20 miles somehow. And we get off, and then we realize we're not only not where we're supposed to be, but we're in a pretty sketchy area, and, and, we, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're stressing out, we're not sure what to do. We pull up our map, and we, we, we realize that um, we're not even, we're so far away that we don't, we can't even, 
It's faster to go toward 95 than to go back to the turnpike. We'd driven so far away from where we uh, had wanted to be. And I think this is an illustration of what happens in our lives sometimes, where we're, we, we think, we get to this point where we think we have a sense of bearing and direction of where we're supposed to be going, and we sort of put our life into cruise control, and we don't pay attention. And we talk a lot about this at Cross United Church. We, we, call, this, we call this being on autopilot, where we're just sort of cruising through life, and, and we're we're just sort of going about our business and we end up realizing, holy cow, I am really, really far from where I'm supposed to be. And I'm really far from where God wants me to be. And I don't even know how it happened. I thought we were going the right way. This happens to people who aren't Christians. They, 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 they are literally what the Bible calls lost. They, 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 they are going in a direction and they're going to a destination that they're not supposed to be going toward. And, and the thing about being lost is you can be lost and not know it and think you're going the right direction. So for 20 minutes or 25 hours long, it is we're going, we're going all the way around Orlando and missing our exit. We thought we were doing great, but we were still lost. We didn't know it. So some people are lost and they don't know it and they think things are fine. Other people are lost and they know it. They, they see where they are and they realize they're in the wrong spot. And somehow this, this, this journey they're on and the, 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 the travel route they have taken has taken them to the wrong place and to a dangerous place. And, and, and both Christians and non-Christians get lulled into this sort of highway hypnosis, this autopilot living of just, you know, uh, just cruise control Christianity or cruise control living and missing out on what God has for them. And the reason we're starting this church, and we have started this church, is because God wants more for us than this. God offers more to us than just autopilot life and autopilot living, autopilot Christianity or autopilot non-Christianity. God offers to us fullness of life. For a Christian, autopilot Christianity looks like half-hearted worship. So you sort of like, yeah, I'm sort of sing a little bit when the song, you know, is good, and I know the words a little bit, and, you know, and, and then it's, it's superficial community, so it's like, hey, how you doing? Good, it's good, you know. Now, those are, you have to start somewhere, but if that's where you stay, then you're not really experiencing what God offers in half-hearted worship, superficial community, and then, and then often Christians are just missing out completely on the joy of living life on the mission that God has invited them into in the world. And what Jesus offers is a life of wholehearted worship, a life where worship on Sunday both flows from and flows to uh, uh, Monday through Saturday, that everything is worship, whether you're, you're, you're clocking time at your job or you're playing with your kids in the backyard or you're eating Thanksgiving dinner or you're eating Thanksgiving leftovers or you're eating Thanksgiving leftovers again. Or eating Thanksgiving leftovers again for lunch at work while you're clocking time at your job. All of life can become wholehearted worship. And, and, and community becomes where you're not just sort of like, hey, how you doing? Smiling. Yeah, how was your week? Good. How was Thanksgiving? Good. And those are good things, but, but you're entering into truly knowing someone's story and knowing what, what they struggle with and, and how you can enter into that with them and how they can walk with you and you can walk with them and Money's tied and, and you have ways to serve one another and help one another. 
and mission where we're, we're actually living life according to the purpose of God in the world. We're not living life according to just our own sense of what we kind of should be doing. We think we're going the right direction and we're actually going the opposite direction of where God has called us to go. And God invites us into this fullness of life. And I think in Ephesians 3, we see, um, we see two ways that God has um, designed for us to turn off autopilot in our own lives, whether we're Christians or, or non-Christians. How does God design the world? How does God invite us to a more abundant and full life? He's invited all of us into this, whether, whether, you're, whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're middle class, whether you're white or whether you're black or whether you're brown, whether you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, whether you are old or whether you're young. You know, in this community, we have so much diversity, so much difference, all close together, but there's also, it seems like, it seems diverse, but in really, it's segregated into little pockets of people who kind of just hang out with themselves and people who are like them, and it's actually a very divided community. Even though you have like palaces on the, on, the, on the canal within walking distance of government subsidized housing, you, you have, it's all so close together, but it's also divided. It's also fractured. And the reason we're calling this series United is because God invites us together to join into something that he is building that transcends those differences. Some people in this community, many people in this community, maybe you have missed your exit, and you know you're not where God wants you to be. You know that you're lost. You know you're in a dangerous spot. You know that you're, you, you need to be somewhere else. You're not headed the direction that you're supposed to be going. And there's lots of people in this community who are in that same spot, lots of people who are missing out on life like God intended, and some of them don't know it. They think they're fine. And those folks, you know, what, what, what our calling is, is just to help them see, no, this is not the way you're supposed to go. Like, pull up the map and say, no, you're in East Orlando. You missed the exit by a long way. Others, though, some traumatic event has, has, been, has, been, has happened in their life, and they, they know there's something that's wrong, and they've woken up, and they've looked up, and they've said, wow, we are really far from where we were supposed to be. Maybe they lost their job, or maybe they lost someone they love, or maybe, maybe anxiety over the election because their person lost, or their person won, but things aren't getting better, or whatever. Maybe they've got all that they were aiming for, and they found that it's not enough. And on top of this, like I said a minute ago, there's the Christmas there's the Christmas hustle and the Christmas bustle and the, the, the fun and, the, and the, the stress and the, the festivities and the, the, the family strain and the, 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 financial, the financial problems. And, the, and, and, and there, there's, you know, you've probably heard psychologists even have a term for, there's something called SAD people have this year, and you've probably heard of this, right? Seasonal Affective Disorder, where people literally get depressed because of the time of year, that, that Christmas time actually depresses certain people, and they get disproportionately, disproportionately depressed. Our mission as a church is to join Jesus to help people see that there's more to life, that God has more for them, and that their autopilot life has taken them exactly the opposite direction of where they're supposed to be. 
to come alongside those who have already been awakened to this and to invite them into something more. So here in Ephesians 3, last week, Joel um, did a great job expounding this text, uh, big picture, and giving a lot of uh, details and, and a lot of laying out of the text as a whole. And what, what I want to do is I want to zoom in on two phrases that really capture the heart of the text that he touched on, and I want to drill into a little bit uh, more deeply. Ephesians is a letter that Paul the Apostle, who is a man who was a missionary, who walked all throughout the ancient Roman Empire telling people about Jesus, and he went from uh, a city called Jerusalem to Antioch across the what is now modern-day Turkey into Rome and all across the world back and forth multiple times, walking thousands and thousands of miles to tell people about Jesus. And one city where he did that was an ancient city called Ephesus. And a bunch of people heard him preaching, and they turned from their sin, and they trusted in Jesus Christ, and they became Christians. And now he's writing them a letter. It's about seven years later. He hasn't seen these people for seven years. Maybe there's someone in your life you haven't seen for seven years or that sort of amount of time. And you can think about the distance of relationship, yet affection is still strong. And he writes this letter in Ephesians 1 through 3, gives them the... the, the unpacks the doctrine of the Christian life. What is, what is Christian theology? What is Christian, what has God done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then in the second half, he's going to go into Christian living. What does this mean for our lives? And here in chapter three, specifically, there are two phrases that capture what he's getting at. The first is in verse six, and that is through the gospel. So the question is, how can we awaken from our highway hypnosis? How can we help other people awaken from their highway hypnosis? And the answer, number one, is through the gospel. Look at verse 6. This is a mystery, Paul says, in verse uh, 3 through 5. And this mystery is a great surprise that was concealed, but is now revealed that the Gentiles, verse 6, are co-heirs members of the same body, and partners in the gospel in Christ Jesus, partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So this great mystery is that the Gentiles, literally the nations, that is literally anyone who is not a Jewish person, has been offered inclusion into God's purposes and into God's promises, into God's love and God's favor and God's grace and God's family. And, and what, what they share with Israel now, he, he says three things in verse 6. They are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise. These are all different aspects of the same reality, and that is that they are now members of the family. So Laura makes me watch, and, and I, I say she makes me, I kind of enjoy it too, this show called This Is Us. I don't know if anyone watches This Is Us. So it's like, this, this is us crying. That's what this show should be called. Every time we watch the show, it's like, get to the end, and it's like, I thought I was going to make it. And you're like, you know, oh, you know, like, oh my goodness. So this recent episode, it's, it follows this family called the Pearson family, and it's uh, a mom and a dad, and I won't give it all away if you haven't seen it. And there's three kids, two biological twins and adopted uh, African-American son. So it's a white family with an adopted African-American son. And the, the two adopted by a lot, excuse me, the two twin biological kids are Kevin and Kate, and then their uh, adopted son is Randall. And there's this recent episode where the family's dad is named Jack, and he's talking with Randall, his adopted son. And, and 
the, the, the context isn't as critical as, as, as this, this part of the interchange where Randall says to his dad, he's probably 10, he says, well, you know how Kevin is like your son's son? And he's, I think he's asking his dad about, you know, carrying on family traits and these sorts of things. And, and, and what he means there is he's his biological son, but he says, he's your son's son, like he has your DNA. And, and, then, and then, and this is where, you know, like this is, this is the cry part of this particular episode, because he goes, Jack says to Randall, he goes, well, first of all, Randall, you are my son's son, as much as Kevin is. You're my son's son. And we're crying, and oh my goodness, so it's beautiful. Because, and it's beautiful, you know why that's so beautiful? It's beautiful because it resonates so deeply in our heart. Why? Because this is the story of the world, that God is including everyone. Everyone has the opportunity in Christ Jesus to be a child of God through the gospel. And to anyone who hears the gospel and responds to it, God says to him, you are my son, son. He says to her, you are my daughter, daughter. Not, not second class, not you. I am looking at you as if you were my eternal son, Jesus Christ. And this is how I view you. You are my child. Here in, in this part of Broward County and Broward County in general, there's a fairly large um, Jewish population. Um, and there's also a, a whole lot of people who aren't Jewish. And what the promise of the gospel means is that an old white guy getting out of his Tesla at Publix can become a member of God's family. And a young black mom with her three kids walking into Publix can become a member of God's family. What it means is that the guy next door across the street with his Trump 2020 sign can become a member of God's family. And then the guy on the other side of the street with his Andrew Gillum sign still up can become a member of God's family. What the gospel means is that anyone who will turn to Jesus in repentance and faith can become a member of God's forever family and be called a child of God. Here's the, here's the thing. We, we can't outdo the world. We can't offer better programs. We can't offer better you know, events than the world. What we can offer to them is something the world can't offer, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Quickly, let me lay it out for you. You probably know it, but let me explain, because there was a long time where I thought I knew it, and I really didn't. There's two ways of looking at the gospel. There's the big picture story of the gospel, and then there's the how do I get into the story? How does God write people into the story of the gospel? The story of the gospel has four chapters. The first chapter is creation, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world. He creates it perfect. He creates humans to have this perfect relationship with him in the world. And then the second chapter is rebellion, where humanity sins against God. They, they spit in God's face and say they would prefer to live life their own way, and they don't want to walk in the way that God has called them to walk. They, they run away from God and from his love. And the Bible calls this rebellion, it calls it sin. And because God is perfect and because God can't let sin, guilty sinners go unpunished, just like if someone broke into your house and hurt people that you love, you would not be satisfied until justice had been given to them. God cannot leave a sinful world in its condition. It must undergo judgment. 
But because God didn't want to have to judge the world, because God wanted to save the world, he set about a program and a plan of restoration. He set about a plan of redemption where he, he brings people into his family and back into his fellowship through his son, Jesus Christ. The essence of sin is separation. Sin separates humanity's body from humanity's soul. That's called death. Sin separates humans from God and sin separates people from one another. Sin separates and what God, what, what sin has separated, God wants to bring back together. So he sent his son, his eternal son, God the son, Jesus Christ, to become a human baby boy, to grow in perfect fellowship and obedience to God, to live his life as a sign and a symbol of the kingdom of God and to bring the kingdom in as the king, to do miracles, to, to show the world who God is and what God is like, but ultimately to give his life to be crucified on the cross, buried and raised from the dead three days later. And what the Bible teaches is that third chapter of redemption, that third chapter of redemption will one day yield to a fourth chapter in Revelation 21 and 22 of complete and total restoration, that God will make all things new. And we become a part of this story. God invites us into this story by believing that God made the world and, every, and everything in it. And believing and admitting that we are sinners who have turned away from God and that our sin separates us from God and that our sin leads to death, spiritual death that separates us from spiritual life, physical death that separates our soul from our body temporarily and ultimately without Christ, eternal death. Admitting then we can't fix this problem ourselves, and turning away from our own attempts to fix the problem and saying, God, I can't fix what's broken but you can and you have, and that's why I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ and accepting that forgiveness and love that God offers to us. And some of you have done that and some of you haven't done that. Some of you have never taken that step to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus Christ, to become a Christian, to accept the forgiveness of God's favor and to accept the love of God shown in Jesus and becoming a child of God so that he will say, you are my son, son. You are my daughter, daughter. And if you've never done that today, there's a spot on your connection card at the bottom. And you, all you have to do is check that and say, I want to become a Christian. And what, 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 some of you, that's like, you're ready now. You're like, I am ready. I know I need to become a Christian. But also, I understand that this is a major life decision and that you might need a little more information. You might have more questions. You might not be sure. You know you're interested, but you're not sure. There's some things you need to think through, and, 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 may, and I totally respect that because I get that. I heard someone say recently, sometimes we expect people to convert to Christianity, a major world religion, with less information than they would receive when buying a used car. Okay, so I understand if you need to, to talk through some things. Maybe you're ready right now. Maybe you think you might be ready. Check that bottom box on your connection card. And you put that in the offering box when it, at the end, or even better yet, at the end, during communion, bring that up to me here at the front, and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you through your thoughts and the decision God is leading you to make. Through the gospel. Secondly, through the church. How is God saving the world? How is he helping people find life like he intended them to live? How is God giving fullness of life to the world? Number one, through the gospel, and then number two, 
through the church. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 10. So, so backing up a little in verse 8, Paul says, God has given me this amazing gift. This gift is to proclaim to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make to shed light for all the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then he says in verse 10, this is so. What, what is so? His gift of this ministry of, of, of proclaiming Christ so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. God's plan A to save the world is to bring the gospel through the church to the world. And specifically here, to bring the gospel to the world through the multi-ethnic church. Jews and Gentiles together, people from different backgrounds together. There's a reason I say that every single week, whether in the introduction or the welcome or in the sermon, talking about the different kinds of people who gather together. Because the gospel, the way that God gets the gospel to the world is by bringing people together through the gospel into and through the church so that he can show off his multifaceted wisdom there in verse 10. This is the same word that's used for Joseph's multicolored coat that his father has given him in Genesis 37. Specifically, when we gather together united under the gospel, when in any other situation we would be divided, when in any other situation we would be divided across the aisle of political preference, or any other situation, we would be clustered in ethnic units of homogeneity, of sameness and similarity. When in any other situation, we would be hanging out with people who were our own age. When in any other situation, we'd mostly be hanging out with people who had the same socioeconomic buying power and status as we do. When we are gathered together across these lines of division, we display the wisdom of God in a way that the world and the universe can't quite understand. The existence, one writer says, of this new multiracial community is the manifestation of God's richly diverse wisdom, a reminder that the authority of the powers has been decisively broken. So you know what God's plan A is for South Florida? It's you. It is you. It is his church. Cross United Church is God's plan A for Lighthouse Point, Deerfield Beach, Pompano Beach, and South Florida in general. Local churches are God's plan A for the world. This is how he gets the gospel out. This is how God gets his work done, through local churches who display his multifaceted wisdom. What this means is that there is literally... Now you think, I'm about to say something, and you're going to say, well, of course you're going to say that because you're a pastor, okay? But that's not why I'm going to say this. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm going to say this because it's true, and I'm a pastor because it's true. I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor and it's my job to say it, and that is the most important thing for any person, any time, is to be gathered with the church of God on a week-by-week basis. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because this is true. The reason that I think that the best investment of my life is to the local church is because that is how God is getting his work done in the world. That is not to denigrate other vocations or other things. God calls people to different things in different times. And, and so that, 
don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is that the most important thing for any person, specifically any Christian, is to be gathered with God's church on earth. The reason that I'm giving my life to this is because this is God's plan A for the world. And what this also means is that if you are not content with your spiritual growth, that the best thing you can do for your spiritual growth, now I'm going to shake some of you up, is not to get in touch with Jesus by yourself every day. Now that is critical, but the most important thing for your spiritual growth is to feed on Jesus in the gathered body of his church week by week and let that flow into a daily rhythm of walking with Jesus yourself. That God has not designed us for what we used to call at a summer camp when I was a youth minister, they called it jam time, Jesus and me. And we think that's the height of spirituality. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is that the church is where spiritual growth happens. So so Laura and I, she's my wife, and I like her a lot. and uh, we like to spend time together, which is good. Um, and, uh, and we like to get time together by ourselves. And uh, with three kids, that doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's beautiful. And then sometimes I go out of town. Now, when I go out of town, what we'll often do is we'll, we'll talk on the phone or we'll, we'll FaceTime. And um, it's great, right? I love technology. And I say hi to the kids, and then, then it's usually like, well, things are, you know, She's taking care of the kids, so she's like, well, I got to go now. I don't have time to just sit and talk. Okay, that's good. It was good to talk with you. But if we were together physically, but, but we never spent time together physically, and, and if I said, hey, like we just, saw, um, we just saw Wreck-It Ralph. We took the family to see it this weekend, and there's this part at the beginning where it's a group FaceTime call, and they're all, you know, three pictures up on the screen. And they're all saying, hey, how's everyone doing? It's the directors and writers of the show. And then they zoom out, and they're all sitting, literally sitting next to each other. Um, if, if, we were, if our whole relationship was, was sort of mediated that way, then, then I think you would probably say, well, your marriage isn't probably as healthy as it could be. And the reality is there's something that happens when we're together in person that doesn't happen any other way. And I, I just think... Hebrews 10.25 says, I don't, I don't think Hebrews 10.25 says this. Hebrews 10.25 says this, and I think it means something important. It says, do not forsake gathering together as is the habit of some. So you have two options. You can make forsaking gathering together a habit, or you can make church attendance a habit. And it's not just sitting in a room with other people and hearing a sermon. It's sitting in a room with other people hearing a sermon because this is God's plan A for the world. And it's not just about sitting and hearing. It's about sitting and being a part of a community that God is using to change the world. There's a theologian named Herman Bavink. He was a Dutch theologian at the end of the 19th century. And he says, only within the communion of the saints can the length and the breadth the depth and the height of the love of Christ be comprehended. And quite honestly, this is why you have invite cards on your seat, is because the most important thing for any person is to be connected to Christ through the gospel. And the way that God connects people to Christ through the gospel is through the church. 
So invite other people in. You know, some of you are here because you got a door hanger, and that's awesome. And some of you are here because you saw a Facebook ad. And some of you are here because you saw a magazine ad. But statistically, 97% of people in this community are not Christians. And I just want you to think, if you were not Jewish, and you saw an ad for a new synagogue in town, Hi, we're a new synagogue design with you in mind, with this good-looking you know, picture on the cover, just like the ads we did, which are great. What would you think? Oh, that's great. I hope a lot of Jewish people get connected to that. But you would think, that's not for me, because I'm not Jewish. And the reality is, there are a huge number of people in the community, they're not Christians, they're not connected to church, and they have no desire to be a part of a church. But what they do have a desire to be a part of is relationships. What they're going to say is they're going to see someone they care about, who cares about them, inviting them in. And through the gospel and through the church, saying, hey, why why don't you come and see what's going on? I used to work next door to this little Latin bakery, and I never, I never had any desire to go in. It was called Temptations. And I just thought, I I kind of feel weird going into, you know. I said, I don't think the Holy Spirit should lead, doesn't lead me into temptations. And so, that was one good laugh. Okay, thank you. It's funny. I've told that joke so many times, and it's never funny, and I always think it's going to be. It's great. And so, a friend invites me to go to breakfast with him. He says, hey, let's go to temptations. I said, okay. We go there. I'm like, this place is great. Cuban sandwiches and coladas and all this stuff. I was there for the rest, I was there for years, four or five, I was there every day, twice a day for years. I got to the point where the owner gave me my own book with with a tab inside that I would pay once a month because he had a minimum credit card fee. He said, hey, but the reality is you spend so much money here that at the end of the month, you paying your monthly bill actually kind of helps me like with my rent and stuff because I was there all the time. And I probably would never have gone if that guy hadn't invited me. And he wasn't even like that great of a friend, but he was a friend and I would never have gone if he hadn't invited me. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who they'll see a sign They'll see an ad, they'll see a door hanger, they'll, they'll kind of get wind, oh, hey, there's a new church in the area. And they're like, they just, they're not against it, but they just have no interest. But if someone they know who cares about them, even a little bit, says, hey, I know you got two little kids, would you like them? It's no major commitment. If you come twice during the month of December to practice and you know, they'll be able, you know, during, the, during kids' time to practice this song, and then they're going to be able to sing and do a little kids' choir, and I know that might be a fun, festive thing for your family. If someone invites them, it could be life-changing. So back to us in Lost in East Orlando. I mentioned, we, we were so far away that we mapped it, and it would have been longer for us to go back the way we were supposed to go and catch the turnpike, and we had to catch this other road and catch it and go out all the way east to 95, but eventually we did. We stopped to get something to eat, and we eventually made it home. You can't undo all the stuff that's gone behind. You can't change everything that's happened before 12.32 p.m. on Sunday. November 25th. He can't change it. And it, 
in all likelihood, you can't backtrack. And it would be counterproductive for you to even try. But what God is offering to you is a new way and a fresh way to wake up, to stop living life on autopilot, to get some directions, and to move into the life that he offers to bring you home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for thank you for your word. Pray that you would just uh, press this word down into our heart. The beauty of your word, Lord, is that um, you can use um, so many different things to impress on the hearts of different people what what is what it is that they need. So, Lord, some in here they need they need to be comforted by the gospel and the truth of your love. They just need to be reminded that they're your child and that you love them because of the cross and the body and the blood of Christ as we're going to celebrate in just a minute. Others in here, they need to be challenged. They need to be woken up. Lord, they need to be stirred. And Lord, only your Holy Spirit knows how to apply the word specifically to the people that, that you are speaking to. And so I pray that that word would have its effect by your grace and for your glory. And we thank you that the overarching word over us is that, that you love us, that we have no one to impress, we have nothing to prove, and we have nothing to lose because you gave your son. For anyone who is thinking about checking that bottom part of that connection card, Lord, I just pray that you would work in their heart to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ or to at least take a next step and say, I'm interested in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name.